What up, world? It's your boy, the Puerto Rican powerhouse, the Mike for Hire, the podcast person himself, Christian Joel Ramos, back at it again with a brand new review. And today, we're going to review the new Sony slash Marvel film, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. So Venom, Let There Be Carnage is essentially Venom 2, right? It's been a couple years since the first Venom. I know I don't recall, did I review the first one? I think I might have, but I wasn't really sure if I, you know, gave it a... I know it was a five at best out of 10. It was okay, could have been better. It felt like it's 2000s, early 2000s, like a superhero film a la Fantastic Four or whatnot. It was not something I was uh, looking forward to because it had no connection to the current MCU. It was at a point where there was rumors of Spider-Man leaving the MCU before it got renegotiated. So I'm like, okay, so there's been a movie that's not even attached to Spider-Man, nor does it have any Easter eggs, alluding that he knows Peter Parker because he wouldn't. This Venom is in his 30s, maybe 40s, you know, I don't know. He looks younger, like they play him down in age. I know, I know Tom Hardy's in his 40s, but he looks like he's in his 30s here. Some guy is just trying to get his life together. You know, Eddie Brock in uh, the paper. It's not even the Bugle. He's elsewhere, he's in San Francisco. Whereas Peter Parker, our Peter Parker is in Queens, New York, who's still in high school. So the timelines wouldn't really make sense. Or could this be pre-Parker or could this happen in the future like is this somewhat happening down the road and we meet an older parker meeting an older eddie brock both at the bugle so straight up it was hard to get excited for this film to begin with the first one but then towards the end of it i got used to it i thought it was a cool concept it was something like all right why not let's just all just enjoy for what it is a shitty superhero film that could have been better if it was interconnected in the grander mcu because they're even using the old marvel scroll scroll opening not the new one so again there's no con there's no continuity that it's interconnected yet but all that changed because this movie gave us an easter egg towards the end that alluded to multiverses just like the previous few marvel films before we get to that point let's start with the plot now i'm not going to review every aspect of the film i'm just going to look at the plot on wikipedia it's probably in hyphens or it's probably shorthand. And I will express what I like about parts of the film like that sequence. It's a very simple thing. I'm not here to give you the whole film in 20 minutes or less. So in 1996, we got a young Cletus Cassidy, AKA Carnage, played by Woody Harrelson, who watches helplessly as the love of his life, Francis Barrison, is taken away from St. Estes' home for the unwanted children to the Ravencroft Institute. And I'm like, hold up, the Ravencroft Institute, this rings the bell. And why does this sound super familiar? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me get into that right now. So, so I can give you the actual definition. Ravencroft, or the Ravencroft Institute for the Criminally Insane, or Ravencroft Institute, was a large sanatorium in Westchester County, New York. The place later grew to one of the leading maximum security facilities in the country specializing in mutants and superhuman beings, right? So we actually are getting the word mutants and super beings and we're alluding to it more than just heroes and villains. We're actually explaining that mutants are real. And this facility has been historically in the comic lore of Marvel comics. It's essentially the Marvel version of Arkham Asylum. That's the way I can just give you that brief history. Because if you want to look it up, it is in marvelfandom.com where they go into deep details about every era. Because this, this institute is so old in the lore of Marvel. It started in the 1500s 
land where the Ravencroft Institute was built was seen as a curse by the local indigenous tribes since before the 15th century, having been claimed as a territory for the cannibalistic cult that worshiped the dark god Null. And from there, we go into the 16th century, 17th century, 18th, 19th, 20th century, the 21st century. It goes on and on and on, and even to the future. So this is a very uh, integral part because I remember this, I believe, in the X-Men comics. So we're, again, creating lore that, yes, Venom exists within the Marvel Universe, just not the MCU per se yet because we're getting Easter eggs of places that could be in the MCU if they decide to connect these two universes, Sony and Marvel shake hands, because they could do that. They could make it all interconnected, and I, I would love it, because Tom Hardy was an amazing Venom. He was a great cast for Venom, so I'm not against Hardy being Venom. I just want to know how they kind of retconned his lore, because Eddie Brock was from The Bugle. He was not that much older than Parker. Parker was a college kid. He was probably in his mid-20s to early 30s. So he's in the right age. It's Parker that's got to speed up a couple of years. But again, we did have the, the big, you know, five-year skip where Parker stayed the same age and everyone else grew older. But with this whole multiverse fiasco in the Spider-Man movie that's yet to come out, we didn't know if he travels back in time into a different universe. So many ways you can retcon it easily via multiverse. So with that being said, I'm just enjoying the journey and how we're getting there and not thinking too hard about it because my fan... As you can see, all of us fan casting these ideas, we never know what's truly gonna happen in the MCU. They go one direction where you can come up with a million ways this thing could occur to make sense. It's gonna happen, but you just gotta be patient and let it play out. Because as you all know, in Feige we trust, so I'm not gonna sit here and think I know better than he does because whatever plants he's gonna pick is gonna work well for the cinematic universe. Comic book stuff aside, there's too much to work with to know where this direction can go. So we move on here to the Ravencroft Institute and on the way, she is taken away. She uses her sonic screen powers to escape and even um, has a police officer become uh, deaf in one ear as it pops one of his eardrums, who is the officer Patrick Mulligan. He shoots her in self-defense and he shoots her eye out, but she suffers the injury um, and it's, it's a mutual injury exchange there, right? So unbeknownst to Mulligan, who believes he killed her, Harrison's actually taken to the facility after all, where she is hardened against her powers, meaning she is repressed, tested on, she's living in a cube, in a clear cube, where they are running tests on how she has these supersonic shrieking powers. Hint, hint, nod, nod, shriek, right? This is the comic character Shriek, who is in fact a mutant. So the fact we have a mutant here, who essentially X-Men, talking X-Men characters, the world of X-Men that's yet to be seen in the MCU, you're kind of giving us an Easter egg into a new world, and I'm looking forward to being shown the X-Men down the road. So we're, it's almost like giving us a little teaser of what's gonna happen. But she's popped up many a times in Marvel Zombies, Spider-Man Heroes and Villains. On TV, she was in the Ultimate Spider-Man vs. Sinister Six animated series. Uh, let's see, she made appearances in film, obviously, here. Video games, of course. It's a character that I'm not very familiar with, but I know for a fact she's very much has similar powers to the Banshee character in the X-Men films and also uh, other Sonic-powered mutants. But she's the first identified mutant in the Venomverse because, again, not part of the 
Spider-Man universe or MCU. So we actually hear the word mutant. We actually see them leaning into mutants existing in this universe. Mutants do not exist in the MCU, but they exist in the Venomverse. Maybe there's a way that, again, if we see the worlds collapse and universes collapse into each other, creating a unified universe, mutants exist in one world. They don't exist in the other. Bada bing, bada boom. They now exist in the same world. We'll see what happens because, again, these are more questions than answers that I have no definitive answer for, but they're just geek film theories that we're all just leaning into because we're very much loving this detective game called Guess the Next <laughs> Plot in the MCU. Or, you know, is it Secret Wars? Like, are we seeing Universe Clyde? We should have to wait and see then, huh? Anyways, and she's played by the lovely uh, Naomi Harris, who obviously uh, people know her as Money Penny from the Bond films. Uh, and yeah, she's Cassidy's love interest who can manipulate sound energy. Pretty much Black Canary for Marvel, but she's a villain, not a hero. Kind of very similar. Um, so she's described by Andy Serkis, who's directing this film, as a damaged soul who has been living in isolation and has a dark side to her. Oh boy, does this woman have a dark ass side for sure. So. As we go here, we move on to the plot where present-day Mulligan, now detective, because he was an officer of the law then, he's now a detective, he got his promotions and stuff, he's older, contacts Eddie Brock to speak to Cassidy, because Eddie Brock is the only person Cassidy's willing to speak to because of their quote-unquote, uh, I don't want to say history, because they didn't have a history. We know Cassidy in the first film was hinted at and shown real quick, he wasn't exactly fully fleshed out and developed, but uh, it's a matter of he knows of Eddie Brock's handiwork because in the first Venom film, uh, he's able to take down Drake and his operation and who is bonded with the symbiote Riot in the Life Foundation, the space probe, and they wanted to collect all the Russian symbiotes in space to bring them to Earth. So this stuff, I mean, obviously they, they leave out the symbiote part, but this stuff made the news and made Eddie famous, and this is stuff that you he saw on television, like this Eddie Brock is a really good journalist. I want to talk to him because he can give my information wording whatever you want to call it he can say my story but uh and, and kind of like be a really good writer so he likes his work when he met in the prison venom accidentally got pissed off at a comment that carnage said and he got eddie too close to carnage work i mean cletus cassidy i should say cletus cassidy then bit brock and tasted the symbiote thus infecting himself and creating carnage without even knowing it because of the fighting of the symbiote got infected. So, the present day Mulligan is a detective and he contacts Brock to talk to this guy, invites Brock for, to attend his execution. However, Venom is provoked to attack Cassidy via results in, again, Brock getting bit by Cassidy and in doing that, he ingests a small part of the symbiote. So, Brock is contacted by his ex fiance. And Waning, Wayne, I think is her last name, who tells him that she's now engaged to Dr. Land Lewis. And we all remember this in the first film. They, they broke up, didn't work out. Uh, but to Venom's displeasure, because Venom is trying to, he's Team Eddie, he wants him to win everything. But Eddie understands that this was not going to work out. And she was going one way, his life was going another. And they weren't it. But he is essentially now. I guess not even just a wingman for Brock. He's also his best friend. He's like, come on, man. You deserve to be happy. Fight for her back. And he's like, nah, I'm giving up. I'm done with this shit. I'm moving on, man. Shut, quiet down. But of course, this is what creates more issues because now we have this ascension between Brock and Venom who are now not getting 
to they're not agreeing eye to eye and they're not respecting each other's boundaries so here we move on where Cassidy's execution fails because the red symbiote activates the self-defense and turns up into carnage and that's when he goes in a chaotic killing spree and that's the quickest origin story for carnage because we get the backstory of him being abused by his family and that whole that's the whole thing that created him to become murderous because he killed the family members that he was getting abused by and that's the reason why he's crazy and carnage is a symbiote that combines with him so crazy but more crazy boom he got the ultimate antagonist right so here we go we introduce a carnage who goes in this violent rampage to the prison killing all the the orderly the orderlies killing all the um uh ceos and correction officers there we go the ceos and all the inmates are clapping but no carnage has got no size he's gonna kill everybody he wants because carnage is hungry and he's out for blood but he goes into the spree that should have been more bloody than it was but of course it's filming pg-13 not rated r so because of that i was kind of bummed out it wasn't as graphic but it, it didn't need to be it, it's like that hard pg-13 like the christopher nolan batman movies where you can kind of see where things are going without actually showing it where you would wince in moments and be like okay you know what i know what would happen in this moment right here and uh, yeah i don't need to see that much visuals but it worked well but again this movie fell flat because of it sometimes you got to lean into this a little more gore a little more blood a little more intensity it just felt too um it happened too fast it was just a blur if you blinked so we move on here where uh cassidy escapes now brock and venom will have to deal with this new symbiote uh mulligan calls brock and warns him about the situation that now he's gonna go out to kill him in revenge uh venom wanting more freedom to eat people that's one thing he's all all worried and worked out about he wants to just eat people brock has been feeding him chickens and pigs and all this other cattle livestock whatever but of course also chocolate because there's something in chocolate and human brains that venom it's a certain uh i guess a certain thing that gives you a certain euphoric sensation and it's been both found in both brain stems and chocolate so here we go on where he is trying to get more freedom and then they have this big old fallout in eddie's apartment he wrecks his house destroys the tv and all that stuff and somehow escapes for a while and brock is now free of venom for the first time since they met so venom um but before all that happens uh of course you know uh we've got this moment where carnage will help cassidy break out his wife from ravencroft and cassidy will help him eliminate venom because now venom is it's almost like the whole uh, alpha male thing where he's the uh, older younger son trying to kill his dad so mulligan calls brock and warms about the situation we already talked about that um so mulligan's suspicious of brock because of his interaction with cassidy before he, before carnage emerged like how the hell is this happening because after you showed up like what a what a coincidence when you show up shit goes downhill like but he takes brock to the police station brock refuses to answer any of mulligan's weird inter, um, interrogation questions and is contacting waiting as his lawyer plot twist after your ex would be your lawyer not exactly the best thing but who else can he trust so brock reveals that venom has separated him to her uh and he needs a symbiote to fight carnage together because if not he is a sitting duck so as venom makes his way through san francisco's rave scene or gay scene i, I don't know he's going through the club scene just having the time of his life going body to body until he reaches the clubs and he has this it's luckily it's a costume party so like he doesn't look odd he actually has the most quote-unquote badass costume of the night and um so when wayne finds up uh and convinces him to forgive brock at the club uh she bonds with venom for a bit and breaks 
Brock out of prison using the symbiote and Brock and Venom make amends and bond again but not after a huge apology from Eddie Brock to give him a little more freedom on what he needs to do for sustenance which is eat I guess bad guys because the whole film was kind of like very childlike I need to eat bad guys to live it's like you can live off chickens pigs goats cows you don't need to eat people but the only way he would take him back is if he allowed him to eat people so like I guess now he is essentially now a villain because the Venom character wants to do things that are beyond like Eddie wants to do the things the right way and Venom doesn't give a shit he, he's a parasite he just wants to eat doesn't matter it's like survival of the fittest it is essentially like he's saying this is the animal kingdom and you're just uh, going along with this because if not then you're screwed it, it, it's it's all tricky because now we know if there is a sort of interconnected we could establish Venom as a villain even though he was an anti-hero of the first film and even parts of the second film which is all great and dandy so it's like okay Shit's about to get real. We're gonna get the real Venom from the comic books, 100%. Where he's not gonna be this anti-hero. He's gonna finally be villain because Eddie Brock has to abide by him. If not, whew, who's to say uh, his host can't kill him just like he's killed everybody else? Because remember, Venom can only bond with certain people. If not, he just destroys the host. So who's to say he can't willingly try to kill Brock? Just saying. Or he, so. Yeah, so now Brock is like, screw it. Whatever helps get us. No, he's become like Punisher, where killing is not that serious anymore. Or, I guess, not just killing, but also it's a necessary evil. And he's, he's after losing everything, he's like, you know what, screw it. At this point, I'll do whatever you need me to do. So, we have Cassidy taking Mulligan hostage because of the history of Mulligan and Barrison. We also get the issue of Barrison uh, hijacking the lawyer. Um, and and wing is defense attorney and they're pretty much trying to bait venom to fight them again this is shriek she's referred to as shriek but she's not a symbiote yet we shall see if something alludes to her becoming symbiote in the sequel but in this film i'm sorry to say she doesn't become shriek it's strictly about carnage and it's the final act you know how this shit goes Essentially, they have this big epic fight in a church, and there's a lot of banter back and forth. Shriek is called Shriek, but she's not a symbiote Shriek. She's just a human mutant with, or is a, she's a mutant with powers, yes, but she doesn't have the symbiote um, superpowers that come with it either. So, she, between her and Carnage trying to take down Venom, it's she kind of gets in the way and uses her sonic powers to annoy Carnage. And throughout the film, she mentions, he mentions, uh, Cassidy like hey I want to kill this woman and he tells him not to but Carnage and Cassidy don't see eye to eye unlike Brock and mind you Brock and Venom don't get along to begin with they they can find some sort of mutual agreement Carnage is straight up chaotic and is just like screw you I'm killing this woman and it's the downfall to the Carnage character in this film because in the end when she does they use a bell that's, uh, that's in the church tower it falls and traps the shriek does it kill her we don't know yet because it landed around her because it's such a huge bell it's like it landed on her. it landed on her but she wasn't technically the weight of it was around her the circumference it wasn't like it was squishing her but if a giant bell falls on you the vibrations alone are just like immensely crazy i mean that's gonna like blow your ears off but of course she has sonic power so maybe that doesn't affect her but she's not she's killed off screen so as far as we know, she's still alive, which is leaving room for the sequel because this whole shit goes down where finally Cassidy and Venom separate, uh, Cassidy and Carnage separate and Venom and Brock take advantage and the Venom symbiote, well, I guess with Brock, Venom, 
eats Cassidy's head, and he's officially dead. So they killed the Venom, the Carnage character. They killed the Carnage character in one film. I thought they were gonna leave this open-ended because Carnage is the kind of character you want to bring in for feature arcs, but nope, they killed him off. And we get the ending where everybody's happily ever after, uh, and his lawyer and waning and her doctor fiance are happy they're there helping brock like friends which is crazy how mature they've gotten from the first film where they were having petty fights but they were there for a support and almost got themselves killed in the, in, in the process too so it's like oh shit so i'm glad the characters are getting more mature developing there's more for them they're, she's not just a uh, love interest she's now an established character in this universe and Brock has some sort of human friends who's not just talking to aliens the whole time. And of course, Barrison was trying to get revenge on Patrick Mulligan, who was seen killed, but he wasn't really killed because his character looked like he was still breathing in the end, even though he was assumed to be killed off. So I don't know if he's coming back as another symbiote character. Like, I don't know where this is all going and leads to, because if the Carnage uh, symbiote is devoured by Venom, even the Carnage symbiote can't come back as a villain. Not just only they killed Cassidy, they killed the Carnage symbiote so i don't know how they're gonna retcon this where i mean maybe time travel because if you killed off one of venom's biggest rivals like what do you have left to show a lot of venom's rivals aren't exactly that important carnage is the one it's like his joker you know like it's kind of stupid because they also team up at times but when they disagree they definitely disagree so i don't know where this whole thing's going again this is not the mcu this is mcu light but here's where things get really weird Everyone lives happily ever after and keeps going on about their lives. Venom says, saves Brock by bonding with him before he falls from the cathedral and they have that big drop. Carnage tries to bond with Cassidy again, but Venom devours him. I already said that. That's killing him. So Cassidy states he only wanted Brock to be his friend the whole time. And Cassidy gets his head bit off. Oh, so what? Anyways, <laughs> so while Brock, Venom, and Waiting and Lewis escape, a still living Mulligan's eye flashes blue. We don't know what that means. Did he bond with a symbiote? Did Carnage have a spawn? Or this guy have mutant powers he didn't know about? But uh, Venom manages to rescue Waning in time as she's dropping and provokes Barrison to use her powers again. Her sonic blast causes both symbiotes to escape, separate for a second from their host. And this is where we get uh, the cathedral collapsing and falling and quote unquote kills Barrison, air quotes, because we are, let's, we are, we don't see a body after this. We don't know what's happened to her. So in the laws of cinema, if a character is seen killed off screen, they can be written back in on screen because you do not have a body to confirm it. So anywho, that being said, the rating. Oh wait, I, how can I forget the end credit scene that kind of like hinted in the beginning? Um, so they're on a tropical vacation, right? I, sorry, I went off a tangent here. Uh, and things go weird. Uh, it's odd because you just see they are just trying to think through things and all of a sudden a blinding light transports them from their hotel room to another room where they watch J. Jonah Jameson reveal Spider-Man's identity as Peter Parker on TV. Okay, so continuity. This is what I was waiting for. Yes, finally, holy shit, we got to this point. We got a hint of Spider-Man. So this is how you get Venom into the MCU via Spider-Man because Spider-Man has Doctor Strange help him out in the next film. This is right before the next Spider-Man film. So does Venom pop in in the end credits of the next Spider-Man film? That's what we're hoping happens. Also, 
with the time and space changes that Spider-Man and Strange are doing, we don't know if they're going to change, like kind of like the butterfly effect, they're going to change something that changes the course and rewrite some of the, their own history, then we can, again, retcon the Venom character that we already established and add some points that make it more to fit the MCU. Ergo, we can bring back Carnage, we could bring back Riot, we could bring back all these characters if they time travel to modern times before they're killed off and they team up with Octopus setting up some sort of sick symbiote, Sinister Six of some sort to fight Spider-Man. That's my theory, that's one of the many theories. I think there's something more than Sinister Six. It's gonna be a frenzy of villains trying to kill Spider-Man and again, it's just me going off on my own tangent. We don't know if there's gonna be multiple Spider-Mans in the film, it's gonna be a multiverse of madness type of scenario, is this gonna be like uh, Into the Spider-Reverse? So many ways they can take this and I'm so hyped. This is gonna be so fucking lit. <laughs> like, I've been waiting forever for a live action Venom and Spider-Man arc since the animated series from the 90s. Like, I wanted this to happen on screen and it happened in the original trilogy with Tom McGuire, but we don't speak of that. We don't speak of that Spider-Man 3. Uh, that Venom was garbage, but it is what it is. No offense to Topher Grace. Topher Grace is a great actor. It's just that script was terrible. His character made no sense. It just made him look like a giant D-bag. I wasn't a fan of it. Sam Raimi had two home runs and he had one file. It happens. You know, or one strike. It, you know, not everything's gonna be out of the ballpark. It wasn't a grand slam. I'm sorry. He had two good hits and the third one it was like floundering because the studio's pressure to put too many damn villains that made no sense of anything. I like it when they can focus on what they have and make a good story. It doesn't matter how many about the quantity, but the quality. So my review for this film, it's three and a half stars. It's nothing amazing. Again, has that 2000s um, superhero feel aura to it. And of course the cast is not terrible. It's not their fault. It's the way the film is written. I mean, this film had Tom Hardy as coming back as any Brock Venom, Michelle Williams as Anne Waning. We had Naomi Harris as Francis Barrison, AKA Shriek. You had Reed Scott as Dan Lewis, doc, you know, the doctor, uh, fiance of uh, Dwayne's, Wayne's character. Uh, we got Stephen Graham as Patrick Milligan. We got Woody Harrelson. Come on, as Cletus Cassidy Carnage. That was amazing casting right there. Perfect pick. So all this was not so much that the movie sucked. It was the script was weak. It could have been so much better. It had me not bored to tears, but it had me kind of bored. I mean, I was hyped in the end. The best part of the film was the end credit scene. Like that's what it had me hyped for because the carnage was very much underwhelming. I mean, again, does an R rating make a film better? Not always. For a character called Carnage, who is a bloodthirsty, psychopathic serial killer who goes on killing springs as a human, okay, who is seeking revenge on Eddie Brock, who with the help of Venom finds all of his bodies thus sending his ass straight to death row. He's out for blood. He should be not befriending Brock. He should be trying to kill him. Not even just bait him in, searching for him. He should have literally tried to decimate him. And it wasn't towards the end that we finally see this some imagery of the Carnage character, but it was underwhelming at best. And it could have been done better. I'm not a director yet. I'm just somebody that enjoys films. I just thought this was very okay it wasn't bad I'm not gonna hit shit on it the previous film was bad it was so bad I mean it had its its parts here and there but it wasn't great this one was decent it was an improvement but my expectations will never be met because the Carnage character even without an R rating the Carnage character was essentially 
unexistent for half the film. It was more about Cassidy's love interest in him and Carnage as a vehicle to just, it was a weapon the whole time. It wasn't exactly the character of the film, which kind of, I don't know, because based on the title, you would think it would be a big part of the film, but no, alas, it was an okay film. And again, in comparison to the first one, it was better, but it's miles behind any film in the MCU or most of the films in the MCU because I just feel like the, this Sony team doesn't have the same perspective or passion for the, the Spider-Verse as Marvel does for the entire Marvel Universe. And that's just an opinion, not a fact. I'm not here to berate producers and writers, but there's something that's missing, an integral element. Could it be Peter Parker's Spider-Man? That could be it. That could be the missing piece that in the end of the movie got me so hyped to the Venom character should not exist without Parker like he's the one that got the symbiote on him in the comic books and cartoons and in this one it was like more like he just fell into it through his own devices and Spider-Man doesn't exist so does this whole multiverse thing start kind of allow this to actually happen in a different universe we'll see but from now I'm just like hyped for the next film like this movie is now an afterthought literally a minute after it ended with the end credits when they gave me a scene with J. Jonah Jameson you gave me freaking uh oh man you give me the good stuff with jk simmons as jamie jonas jameson again and revealing spider-man's which that was some of the best end credit scene work done ever in the mcu the reveal of spider-man to the world now this happening with venom knowing about it it hyped me up for the sequel so that being said i'm looking more forward to venom 3 or spider-man 3 or doctor strange 2 or whatever the hell they collide because you just use this movie as a setup, but you kind of could have done that with the first one, but alas, they, they had no clue what the direction was going to be with this character. If this is all going to be one universe, if they all can get along and share their characters and properties with each other, that's not either here or there, but things happen. But this movie was okay at best. So, sorry for my long-winded rant there, people. I know sometimes going to tangent, but it's a passion of mine. I love filmmaking. I love storytelling. And when you give me a story that's kind of half-assed, it's like it could have been better. And I don't mean that to be sarcastic, like, oh, I could have done better. No, not me. I'm saying you, the people getting paid money, real money, to make great movies. Please put passion to these films because, again, this was better than the first one. I love Andy Serkis. He's a good director. But the script wasn't amazing. It was an okay script. I just hope the next one we get a better script writer for this one because... Again, I'm not here to shit on the screenplay by Kelly Marcel, but I left the theater a little underwhelmed. Not a lot underwhelmed like the first film, just a little bit. So I hope the next film, they shoot it out the park. I hope it's the best Venom movie yet, and we can actually see some interactions with Spider-Man and Venom. But until then, until we see where this story goes, thank you all for tuning in for this review of CGR Media Reviews. I am the Podcast Mercenary, signing off. Till next time. Thank y'all for listening to this review of Venom, Let There Be Carnage. May we see a Venom 3, and I can review that as well. Till next time, take care, stay safe. I'm out. Peace.